you know, we're always talking about the carbon poor print and about being as sustainable as we possibly can, really to help save the planet. So that's why we're meeting up with Will Green to discuss sustainability in the raw pet food market particularly, but also across other levels of the pet industry. I'm Anna Webb, welcome to A Dog's Life. Welcome to London and welcome to A Dog's Life. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to see you again. It's brilliant and I love it because we're in our favourite spot actually for recording podcasts, a shady glade on Hampstead Heath. Mm, beautiful, love it. <laughs> and I'm so excited about today's conversation because it is about sustainability, isn't it, Will? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and it's a top issue that I think most people should be discussing. And it's very close to your heart because you've done an awful lot of research around this in your own capacity, really, as a very interested human in this issue, but also as a consultant, really, and you've done a report which I've read and it's fascinating, a lot went over my head, but explain what that report was and how this is potentially can I say revolutionise the yeah. raw food feeding community in terms of the big argument that sits around it being sustainability? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm studying a global MBA at uh, the University of Winchester. Um, the, w the university has a focus on sustainability. So throughout the research and uh, different modules that I'm, I'm studying, there's always a, a focus on sustainability. So every s single product that we do um, you know, research or just kind of general reading, it has to be focused on sustainability. And what I was looking at was sustainability in the pet food industry, um, but particularly looking at raw dog food companies and how really uh, there's an already existing sustainable model, but we could actually make it better. I think the, the part that is a bit more cutting edge that I've done is I've used some tools that I usually use for other things, but to do an analysis of the whole kind of product life cycle um, to suggest changes across the board that could make the products as sustainable as you could get. So it's so now, isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, you know, from what I got from it, you use things like, am I right, is it the Ella McCarthy Foundation? Yeah. Um, and her inspiration for sustainability, like a good few years ago, right? Yeah. Um, when she noticed the huge amount of plastic that was in our seas. Absolutely, yeah. So Ellen MacArthur is based in the Isle of Wight, which is quite local to us. Um, and her foundation are basically funding and, you know, and pushing forwards the cutting edge research in sustainability. Um, they're developing existing tools like the, the Mobius Loop, um, which I think we've discussed as well. Um, What's that exactly? So everyone probably doesn't know the name, but they've probably seen it. You, you know the loop with the three arrows? Um, and it's uh, reduce, reuse and recycle. Right. So that is the Mobius Loop that was developed in the 70s, but really um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation have taken that a step further. So what I didn't realise until I did this research is there's actually a hierarchy to that. So um, reduce is the first thing that we should be doing, then reusing things, then recycling. You know. So it's like this three-prong approach. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, some products or services might fit into those prongs perhaps a bit easier than others. Like, I don't know, with a black cab, for example, if it runs on electricity, mm. I suppose that's ticked a big but yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But, you know, how would that apply then to raw food? So uh, what I've done is I've taken that as, uh, I've taken every single area to do with raw feeding. 
So from um, the suppliers, the input, the production, right through to the consumer, and looked at areas that could either be reduced re or introduced reusing or recycling, in that order, so preferably reducing, um, then reusing, then recycling. But well, I was just going to say, you know, because people jump on me often and go, well, you know, feeding meat, oh, it's so awful, Anna, you're not trying to save the planet, um, you know, <laughs> you've got a few that mm. are actually saying that dogs should be vegan to save the planet. Over to you, Will. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Something came up recently and uh, a little while back I was on a, um, a kind of discussion panel about um, dogs and sustainability. And the point that uh, the councillor was making was that uh, you know, dogs, uh, their CO2 output was so high it was like a, a Land Rover for, uh, every year. But the, the problem is with that is that they were looking at it from a perspective of just the overall CO2 output. They weren't looking at what was also saved by using the, you know, certain products. And by using you know, raw do dog food, which uses category three material, um, you're actually reducing waste or reducing um, export, which can reduce the CO2 emissions by like 30%. It's really interesting. Yeah, no, I know, I, re I, I read the book, Is It Time to Eat the Dog? <laughs> which is a very dramatic title. And it was by this guy called Robert Vale. And that came out about 15 years ago. And it was comparing a Labrador to, like you said, an SUV. Mm. And, you know, it created a lot of debate at the time. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, th I think the problem is is that people love to simplify things and look at it in isolation, but it's not a case of being able to do that. You know, life's more complicated than that, um, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, there, it isn't as, as simple as uh, just sourcing meat and, the, you know, the animals that we source the meat from, they are part of the human consumption um, kind of uh, process, not just for, for dogs. So we're using um, what could be described as a waste product. Um, and using that to make the raw dog food. The, the reason is, is that you know we can't, uh, you know, humans shouldn't eat bone, especially cooked cook bone. We shouldn't be eating bone. So um, some meats, when it's taken from the animal, um, would might have little bits of bone in. That's absolutely fine for a dog because, dog, as you know, dogs can yeah, uh, digest love, bone. And I suppose it's stuff like you know the whole stomach, basically, of ruminants anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is most of the meat. It's yeah. great for dogs because that's raw green tripe. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and there's there's no demand for human consumption in the UK for that. I don't think humans can eat it. I think we can Not eat. Raw, no, 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 we can eat the bleach tripe. Yeah. Well, they love it in France. Yeah, it's a delicacy, actually. Yeah. I've had it out there. Actually. Have you? Yeah. Was it? I've never tried it. Uh, it was interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> but they eat brains and everything out there as well. That's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, you know, I've seen that on a menu. I've never had that. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, no. But, you know, just in different cultures, do you know what I mean? So yeah. perhaps perhaps the UK is more prone to wastage. Perhaps. I think, um, I think didn't Nick say on a previous podcast that 50% of food is wasted? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we do. I mean, look, David Attenborough shouting about it. Yeah. Don't waste things. I mean, even I'm, like, really being conscious now. No, don't go to the shop, Hannah. Yeah, you know, you, you make a meal from what's in the cupboard. That old expression, you know. I've got a couple of tomatoes. I've got some eggs. I've got a cucumber. That's a meal, you know, yeah, and some yeah. bread. That's yeah, sort definitely. of what I eat, you know. Um, so there's no need to go to the shop, which, as I hate food shopping, yeah. that's a bonus. Yeah, definitely. I hate food shopping too. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, yes. So, no, so, Will, no, it's, um, so this whole, it's all about 
thinking about your pet's carbon paw print, but thinking mm. about the offsets that you, human, can make um, the choices around. Absolutely, yeah. So I think, you know, what uh, one, one thing is also, you know, the ethical sourcing of meat is really, really important because ethically raised meat, as you probably know, is, is much more nutritious as well for, for dogs and for humans. And, um, and what we need is more ethical farming um, in place to, to make sure that we've got the, the, the meat that is needed for humans and then the, I'm saying waste, but it's not really waste, you know, category three material for, to, to make um, you know, a high, highly ethical dog food. That's, that's really important. And I think if we just had no meat industry, then we would ha be having questions about the CO2 impact of dogs. But at the moment, while we're using essentially the, you know, the category three material, it's not a case of just saying that this is an isolated impact. It's just mm, not. Mm, mm, mm. No. And also, you know, it's another thing I know Nick Thompson's very passionate about and my vet, uh, Barbara Jones in Shropshire. She runs um, an organic dairy farm and it's amazing up there, Will. Mm. You know, she's got all this organic land and there's just a few cows just swishing their tails in the yeah. fields, really happy. Um, and then she grows produce on the other side of the farm and has her vet clinic sort of in the middle. I mean, it's absolutely mad Amazing, yeah. with the Welsh hills in the background. <laughs> but it's all about ethical, as you say, but also not industrial, basically. Yeah. Because, you know, we're sat here on the heath, we've just seen a dragonfly go by, which is lovely. Yeah. We need insects and they need to thrive through biodiversity, which can't really be offered if we all did these big football pitch sized fields of wheat, right? Exactly, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, my experience, um, you know, I've never worked on a farm in the UK. I'd love to actually, but yeah. I haven't. But I have, I spent nine months on an organic um, uh, cattle station in Australia. Wow. Um, so I worked out there um, a long time ago now, but it was amazing. And, you know, the, the cows were completely free. You know, they, they were out, out there. You, we'd do a yearly muster, bring everything in you know make sure they're all healthy and everything and have a check up and then out they would go again and and that was just the most sustainable way I've ever seen. God, I bet it was great watching the dogs work was it? I yeah. thought because those dogs I mean they're real yeah. dogs I mean I've heard people send their cattle dogs out Australian cattle dogs out go listen see you back here guys you know in an Australian accent which I won't do you know in three days yeah. and in three days time sure enough they see them bringing in these cows you know and oh, they've wow, gone out yeah. all on their own yeah. um, and just gone fetch the cows because they're hardcore dogs. Yes, they are, yeah. Those I mean, are. I, I think uh, the problem is most of the dogs on um, on the station were staffies and oh, right. you know it's quite warm there so they're mainly just um, lying in the shade. But, oh, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have the cattle dogs. But the, the thing is is that out there you know that was my first uh, experience of raw feeding because we you know we were living off the land out there there, there was an, a, a runway we're on a 650,000 acre plot Mo you know there was kind of several hours in a helicopter to the nearest hospital so you don't want to mess around no and um and we were eating um you know uh, the cattle from the from the station and the dogs were eating raw meat from the station and they were you know the fittest healthiest dogs i've ever seen and i bet they love some of the natural byproducts like a bit of a cow's tail or yeah. uh, you know fresh cow ear yeah, um definitely. to yeah. you know prance around with and you mm. know have a nice munch yeah it's really interesting mm. and actually i'm sure i read somewhere that dogs actually generally do live to quite a long age in Australia. Absolutely. So whether, you know, because I'm always fascinated by regional differences in feeding, like, you know, in Germany, for example, um, more people feed raw than they do here. Yeah, I mean, there's actually, a, uh, so in this research that I put together, mm. a lot of my findings were based on 
um, some of the information coming out of Germany because it's actually a m much more developed industry in terms of there's a lot more research that goes along with it that I can use. Um, the, the UK, I think, has a little way to catch up. But the other thing is the raw feeding industry in, in Australia is, is actually quite far ahead of um, where we are in the UK as well. Really? And much more developed and there's a much higher um, percentage of people feeding raw out there. Well, that figures then, it works together with healthier dogs. Yeah. yeah. And that's really what everyone wants, isn't it? Yeah, you know, definitely. and I think if we're talking about offsetting, you know, surely will. If you consider your dog's diet as a way of offsetting vet bills. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's potentially in this day and age of soaring costs, uh, a very valuable consideration. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, Tyler, um, so Tyler Daly, our CEO, he's actually written a piece on this recently. Right. And, um, and yeah, the, I think the, the vet's bills and the kind of unnecessarily like kind of given medication and all that kind of stuff, I think we, we've touched on this before. Yeah. You know, that, um, that, that's a huge impact uh, on financial um, the yeah. of owning a dog. And the sustainability, you For know, sure. yeah. of the pet industry, you know, because it's not all about the raw food aspect, is it, Will, you know? No. Definitely um, not, no. I mean, it's something air miles from, you know, China and um, where yeah. a lot of, you know, harnesses, leads, you name it, are made, you know, that I guess has to be factored in. So mm. it's always think, you know, buy British and local. Absolutely. I mean, I think, again, this study showed that um, about 30% of the CO2 involved in the, in the meat industry is from export and 10% from import. Right. So if you can uh, make a more sustainable local model, you can reduce that uh, CO2 impact by 40%. So it's a huge impact. Yeah, yeah, huge, yeah. Massive. Huge, really huge. We've already reduced the size of the Labrador to um, potentially something like a Whippet, I would say. Then if we're thinking about, you know, is it time to eat the dog? What a ridiculous <laughs> title for a book. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's interesting. But explain a bit more because so your MBA that you're doing, I mean, it's not only going to, I would guess, help the raw food industry per se with knowledge and models that you're you're working through but of course Paleo Ridge itself so explain a bit more then about what you've learned and what you're implementing at Paleo yeah absolutely so um probably worth going back to the basics of how I come okay. out so the the actual study was based on a SIPOC analysis right um that goes into suppliers input process output and customer okay. so it looks at the entire journey about manufacturing a product right from the very very beginning to the customer and by breaking that down, I, can look, I looked at each individual process within that and had a traffic light system, which was about sustainable um, practices that are already in existence. Um, kind of amber, not, you know, kind of sustainable, not greatly sustainable. And then red areas, which are not sustainable. So things like um, uses of plastics and, and all sorts throughout the process. And um, that I went through and, and researched alternatives to every single area of like plastic or unsustainable practice and put that forward in this research about how, how that, all the plastics could be eliminated. And really the findings were that, um, the, that you know, there was a kind of seven key um, changes that would be needed. And that, were, that was that um, you know, capturing waste and using it um, was uh, you know, particularly at the that, that first stage. Um, using renewable energy uh, using recyclable packaging, um, compostable PPE and packaging, um, reusable um, packaging in the final stage for customers. So a lot of the packaging is 
you know, in manufacture, because there's plastics and stuff used in manufacture. And then, you know, electronically planning, you know, the resources to reduce waste. Um, and then at the end, you know, the seventh one was, was really the integration of all these resources. And, and the best way to do that is to keep it local, you know, keep a local sustainable loop. Um, so that was the, you know, the, the key kind of top level. Um, but whether, the, the problem is there is a financial impact. At the moment, you know, um, there is a financial impact to um, implementing sustainable practices into the industry, which will have an impact on the final product cost. So none of this works unless the consumers demand it. Right. And are accepting that they're going to pay a little bit more for that. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's an investment. We've all got to do this, I think. We all have to do our bit. I mean, for example, I know there's other firms that... I mean, we talked about this, I'll just say polystyrene, mm. um, you know, because obviously raw food has to arrive frozen, so it has to stay cool. Yes, we know mm. that, but it's not mandatory to use this polystyrene, which, oh, mm. used to drive me mad. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, a big, that's a big issue. I think, like, too many firms are still using polystyrene, and they're not even putting systems in place to reuse that. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we use, at Paleo Ridge, we use um, Wukul, which is a sustainable alternative to polystyrene. It means you, you can line a, uh, a wooden box with that and it will stay, it's just as good as um, polystyrene. And we reuse it. So it's a more sustainable um, material and it's re reusable. So we're, we're going back to the Mobius Loop, we're reducing plastics and we're reusing as well. Yeah. So we, we're covering two of those points. Yeah, and, and it's the compostable, I think, which is quite a big theme as well at Paleo Ridge with your your packaging, which I must say, you know, is, is fantastic. I always say to people, but make sure you get a big Tupperware. Mm. So, because once it thaws, it thaws, you know, because it's lovely light mm. cardboard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's another thing here because, um, again, we saw each other at the Healthy Pet Show where yeah. Nick did an amazing, um, Nick, Nick Thompson did an amazing presentation. And that was all about, um, you know, part of it was about um, the correct way to defrost products. And if you actually defrost in the fridge, there's, there's really, uh, you know, the, the packaging, there's really no impact on it. Um, I think where people have had problems uh, in, the, in the past, and I've heard other companies really point the finger at, at, at this kind of packaging, is where it's been defrosted and left out for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then, yeah, if you're kind of leaving it in a li liquid state, then it's going to permeate the, the packaging. Yeah. But, yeah, it's absolutely, um, you know, the, the best way to package a raw dog food. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, um, yeah, my, my Prudence, you know, ate quite a lot of the packaging, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> well, a delivery arrived when we were recording at home, and so I took the delivery in, left it in the hall, and I thought, oh, you know, what could go, in, go wrong? Got really engrossed into the podcast. Um, after that, went into the hall, I was like, oh, my gosh. And um, so, she, you know, the big outer box, yeah. right, which is quite sturdy, isn't it? It's yeah. recycled, but, yeah. you know, so yep, she'd gotten through that, Will, yeah. and uh, there were kilos of, it was frozen solid, so it was fine, yeah. was scattered all over the hall. Oh, lovely. And then she'd eaten, um, she'd eaten through a, a, a packet and eaten a kilo of one of the tripe classic ranges, what? frozen, yeah. So her tummy was like a balloon. Yeah, but it was okay. We, we yeah. used um, a couple of peppermint capsules and... Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and rang Barbara, my vet, and she said, Anna, look, she's going to be fine, mm. but just don't give her any dinner. Yeah. So, um, you know, what could go wrong? Mm. Um, so, love, so, love Bull Terriers. But, um, so, but no, it, but, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, can, I can vouch that it's definitely not toxic ink. No, and, and well, it's vegetable inks, actually. Exactly. So, um, the other thing is, uh, 
that, you know, imagine if that was plastic. No, gosh, if it had been perfect, it would have been a veterinary red alert emergency. Absolutely. So I'm highlighting this yeah. because this is um, another massive benefit. There is a, um, you know, there, there's something I heard recently and, and it, it's kind of stuck in my head a little bit, which is that I had feedback from a, um, I'll, I'll name, I won't name them, the uh, uh, a raw food supplier who uses plastic packaging. Right. And they had told their staff that um, plastic was more sustainable than paper because of how paper breaks down, but I think that's kind of crazy because you know pa paper can be recycled, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight times, and when it's in the recycling process, the the, the bits that can't be used to remake paper, it's it's actually used as a, a pH neutralizer for fields. Right. Um. So it's got a very sustainable kind of use for the waste material there, and um and you know like I said, it can be it can be reused four, five, six times depending on the use afterwards. Um, and we just don't know enough about like how plastic breaks down because, as you know, like it can take up to thousands of years to, for the plastic to break down. And so we know that um, certain plastics break down and make micro plastics, mm. which I think you know is everyone's been made aware of, especially with fishes containing a lot of much. No, micro that, that's there's a dangerous ones really. Yeah. You know that we are consuming them. Um, yeah, it's uh, very worrying. Yeah, it's, it's quite sobering, I think. And mm. I just think, you know, that there's a problem there about um, about the messaging that goes out because it's confusing, isn't it? And uh, I think the the uh, there is a problem. Uh, do you remember, you know, the big thing came out, I don't know how long it was, 20 years ago about eating five a day? Well, when they did the research, they actually, it was, it was seven or eight uh, fruit a, a day that we should be eating, but they didn't think that people would do it. So they went for five a day because they thought that people might actually do that. <laughs> it's really interesting. But you do wonder with all this sustainability and recyclable that it's become like anything, a marketing gimmick. Absolutely. I think the term is greenwashing. Um, right. You know, greenwashing is, is just kind of using um, sustainability uh, or a, stain, a sustainability argument to, to justify something else. And that's a great example of it because saying that plastic is more um, sustainable than paper which is just baseless is um is, is a crazy example of of just you know just for, you make a decision then justify it afterwards mm, mm, just don't mm. you know it, it that that kind of um misinformation should be um governed in some way i think yeah 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 no i couldn't agree more now the other thing though is interesting because at paleo ridge am i right in thinking you're soon going to be repurposing some of the waste in the manufacture process to uh, offset your electricity consumption from the grid. So this is, yeah, this comes back to more of our supplies mm. um, because this is where, um, you know, there are wastes, especially there's a lot of water used in, in the, um, the production process um, and not, not from us, but from our suppliers. And there's, um, you know, a couple of our suppliers have actually put what's called anaerobic waste water treatment um, plants in. And this creates a biogas that can be used for energy. And there's at least two of our um, suppliers now. So are these farmers? These are far yeah, farms yeah, yeah. Or, or abattoirs that have put this in place. So they're actually using um, waste to create an energy source. Right. It also cleans the water so the water can be used, reused in the, in the manufacturing process. Um, there's this has been put in place into packaging suppliers as well. So in the paper industry, it uses a lot of water. That's a big criticism of the paper industry. Um, but they, they put cleaning and reuse um, processes in to use that water. So for us, we, 
you know, what it means is that we need to be very aware of what processes are in place for our suppliers so that we can drive this kind of sustainable um, operation by preferring to use these, sustain these sustainable companies, um, which is what we do. You know, the, the, the two that I know of that have an anaerobic waste systems and ethic ethical farming processes, we prefer to use them because they're the most that's the most ethical meat, the most sustainable uh, meat that we can we can source so it's really important yeah and you're very very transparent with traceability and everything i've i've seen at paleo ridge you know and we talked about something else you know related to keeping your pets carbon pour print down which is of course not importing or not buying products that have been imported from mm. china and made out of very low-grade plastic that arguably can be quite toxic for your dog as yeah. they've got chemicals on and so on because you use ground hemp seed don't you in we do yeah, yeah. Yes. so does that mean hemp, hemp does grow in the uk yeah there's actually a, a like a, a really established hemp um market in the uk a lot of uh like lettuce growers also oh, right. grow hemp. oh really um, yeah yeah so it's it's quite a um yeah like it's a very sustainable industry it's a very um, flexible crop you know because they is, make yeah. ropes don't they from hemp and loads exactly. of dog toys can be made from hemp which yeah. is mm. natural non-toxic and ideally made in the uk yeah absolutely and i think this goes back to the same thing as with any raw material as it were and i don't like to refer to animals as raw material but Unfortunately, as you look at it in this process, it is unfortunately a raw material, but um, it's using everything. You know, we should be using absolutely everything um, from our farming uh, with, with um, you know, uh, animals, with, with the um, crops and all sorts. And, you know, with hemp, we're using the seeds um, that's going into um, uh, our products. And then the, you know, the strands and the cellular fiber can be used for even paper or like ropes and clothes and all sorts. It's amazing. It's an amazing product, really. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's so so interesting, actually. You know, it makes me think you could even make toys. Uh, I know some vegetarians listening now probably, you know, pass out. I hope not. But, you know, for example, from the skin of animals, yeah. you know, it's leather, which I know is arguably controversial but again it's a byproduct that needs to be used I mean Mr Binks is proud of his leather collar he's wearing mm. it's Italian leather yeah, no. um, <laughs> obviously um, but you know where I'm going so why don't we make more dog toys out of leather I think um, it just basically comes back to you know every every part of the animal should be used every part you know even the parts that you really wouldn't have thought could be used. This is why there's the categorization system. I think, you know, we, I've talked a lot about category three meats and that is the, the meat that is not um, suitable for um, human consumption. But there are, you know, different categories. There's category one and category two. And category one um, material can be used for com uh, combustion, for energy. Right. So basically, uh, you know, it's burnt for energy. That's the least valuable use of a material, really. Right. Um, but category two material can be used for compost and fertilizer. And you know, there's a big um, discussion about um, a lack of fertilizer at the moment um, in the UK for farming, and um, this could be like a really good answer there. So, what is category two? Give an example of what, what um, something would there's be. There's like stomach contents, right? And, you know, and un, you know, unusable um, parts of, of an animal, really. Um, I think category one material tends to be a lot of like sick animals, um, so right. you really wouldn't want to use that um, right. in, in case of spreading like disease or anything. But um, and, and so that doesn't get used for any kind of uh, uh, pet or um, or human consumption. Mm. Um, but category two material 
it doesn't have to be incinerated. It can be used for, like I said, compost and fertilizer. Yeah, because that's so important because otherwise I suppose artificial fertilizer actually goes against the grain because it will be creating CO2 in its manufacture. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, the alternative is that we just, what, landfill this or we, you know, just burn um, uh, the category two material, which could be used for, like I said, um, uh, fertilizer. It's not. Uh, it's not a sustainable way to go about things. It's you know. It's it. Cre it's just wasting a product. And you know. Again, going back to the simple analysis, it's just looking at like waste streams that happen and and trying to reduce that and looking at what what is that waste? Why is it? Why is it there? And how can you reduce or remove it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, because people are discussing. You know, really are dogs worth it you know out there you know that's another discussion i think on the radio interview you did which mm. i tuned into oh, cool. <laughs> yeah they were saying you know well are we going to have any irish wolfhounds there aren't that many in the world anyway actually i must say they are a vulnerable british breed yeah. sadly the largest breed of dog you know i mean is the, what do you think will do you think the vista in 20 years will be lots of little mr bink sized dogs it's really hard to say i think there's you know there's a, a real impact that we're seeing right now of the post kind of pandemic um you know the impact on on especially children i think you know seeing a lot and um and our mental health is really really important as well um uh dogs play a massive part in that they're, they're part of the family and i and i think yes you know there there's a big argument to be made about having smaller dogs and but you know that, do we want to see these dogs disappear? I no, I, don't I mean, to, yeah. no, I'm very passionate. I, don't, I hope it doesn't really come to that. I think, you know, the world of the pedigree dog has become so diluted with the surge in designer crossbreeds and, mm. you know, people just getting any old dog, you know, during the pandemic because yeah. that was the thing, you had to have one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they yeah. really became more of an accessory than ever before, ironically. And we're seeing them all being ditched or resold on dog websites at the yeah. moment and shoved, you know, from pillar to post, which is mm. awful, you know, awful, awful. And, you know, the elderly with, with dogs, I mean, look, you know, I think I read a study that said that, you know, in the elderly, those with dogs go to their GP 30% less than mm. those with out dogs, yeah. you know, simple, you know, studies like that surely yeah. <laughs> uh, prove um, a dog's worth. And look, we've yeah. been living side by side with them. Yeah, I know you're mm. on my page, but you know, yeah. the thought of not having man's best friend. Exactly. Uh, what yeah. will we do? Yeah. We'll be lost. It will mm. all go wrong. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I just can't imagine not having. So my, my dog Misty, I couldn't imagine not having her. No, no, yeah. no, you get so attached. And we, you know, we spend so much time researching, why do we get so attached? Why do they devastate us, you know, when they go, you know? Yeah. And we can't seem to get to the real bottom of it. Yeah. It's this indelible elastic band connection that mm. is just there through yeah. centuries of uh, domestication and, and evolution. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to go back to the point of sustainability, it's kind of, there's always going to be a balance between, uh, I, I keep calling it, you know, category three material. Right. The, the material that can't be used for human consumption that can be used for, for animal consumption. You know, there, it's sustainable as long as we're using that material. It, I think if there's a point at which we're having to use, you know, having to cull animals for dog consumption, then that is a totally different um, argument. But the point is, is that that's not the case. You know, we're, we're using a, 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 what is essentially otherwise a waste material. And that is the fundamentals of, this, of it being a sustainable model. Um, 
there's loads of things that we can do to improve and I think everybody should be trying to improve. I, I mentioned before we were on air that, um, about uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, the, these goals have been put together by the UN, um, a l tremendous amount of research put into them. I don't think that like day to day a lot of people know about these Sustainable de Development Goals, but um, you know, SDG, as they are called for short, you know, SDG 9 uh, is really about putting together um, you know, sustainable industry and putting processes and everything in, in place to be sustainable. And it will take the whole industry to work together. It, it will take Paleo Ridge working with you know, the, other, the other rural dog brands, working with the suppliers and consumers to bring this kind of level of understanding right up to a point where consumers desire it, they, they want it, they're willing to pay more. And you know, there must be some sort of certification or something that we can see that tangibly says that it's a sustainable product. At the moment, that is probably the missing piece of the puzzle. But. So interesting. In a way, um, I know we're running a bit out of time now, but but Will, it reminds me of us going back in time. You know, because in the olden days, you, we would have gone out, gone hunting, mm. you know. Um, Will would have speared a Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex, obviously, or something, do you know what I mean? And then you brought it back, but we would have used everything. Absolutely. And they would have used it for compost as well as for, you know, the latest yeah. outfit mm. with a nice skin, yeah. um, real leopard print. Yeah. I hate the thought of that, actually. Not real, <laughs> fake. Yeah. But you know, back then, so yeah. it's and there was no so plastic. interesting, and there was no plastic. Yeah. There were no, yeah. there was Every, no processed food. You everything know, everything would were... biodegrade, or you know, everything would break down. Um, you know, the only lasting um, uh, archaeology that we see from, you know, is, is kind of rocks and, and and metal that's been manipulated. You, you know, the, we're kind of on this spike, uh, which we just keep seeing going up and up. Um, it did flatten a little bit over the pandemic period, um, but you know, CO2 going into the atmosphere, which is creating this kind of acceleration effect of um, of, of global warming, warming. Um, you know that that is kind of very tangible um, right now. And I, I think we have to be trying to eliminate plastics is one of the key things. Um, it's, it's one of the least recyclable materials. It's one of the most um, CO2. Um, outputting ways of manufacturing even in recycling you know recycling there's a lot of waste and there's a lot of co2 output um, and it's just it's not sustainable we have to change things so. yeah so everyone think hemp toys yeah you know think you know really research your raw food supplier you know how sustainable are they is what i'd mm. say will and you challenge know, them Get challenge the them yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it you know well you know well look you know we love paleo ridge and i'm 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 really proud perhaps to be doing my bit to keep our poor prints as carbon friendly and neutral as possible Thank Perfect. you, Will. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Anna. Hey, Mr. Binks, that's our show. What did you think? Yes, I thought you'd be interested to understand that the food you eat is as sustainably created as it possibly can be. And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. <laughs> I know you're small, Mr Binks, which is good, but it would be awful if we couldn't have big dogs as well. So being aware of our carbon pore print and sustainability is key. <coughs> and I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. 
Thanks again to Will Green and all the links are in our show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer. Find out more about him at Pod People UK. And for me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We will be in your feed again next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? That way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye for now.